You're listening to the Assembly Call IU podcast and postgame show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. Join us for our live broadcasts on Thursday nights and immediately following every IU game at our website, assemblycall.com. That's assemblycall.com. Hey, this week's edition of Banner Monday is coming right up. But before we get to that, it's time for a few words from our sponsor, SeatGeek. As you know, getting tickets online can be far too complicated. With hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability, it is hard to know who to trust. That's why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay. There is nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. Maybe you want to go to tonight's Nebraska game. If so, you're going to have to hurry (laughs) since we're publishing this about two hours before the game starts. But use the SeatGeek app. They probably have tickets. And maybe that game is too soon, but if you want to go to Mackey Arena and cheer the Hoosiers on against Purdue on Saturday, they'll have tickets there. They have tickets for every IU game and Big Ten play, home and away. And you'll find the best seats at SeatGeek because they search multiple ticket sites and they grade every ticket based on value. That helps you to immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. And every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone the easiest way i find i have found to shop for tickets that's why i use it to buy concert tickets to buy sports tickets uh, you know anytime i'm going to buy a ticket to a live event the first first thing i do is open up my SeatGeek app and look there because i know i'll find the best tickets there best of all since you're listening to the assembly call you get ten dollars off your first SeatGeek purchase just download the SeatGeek app enter the promo code assembly and you'll get ten dollars off your first SeatGeek purchase that's promo code assembly ten dollars off your first SeatGeek purchase SeatGeek, life's an event, we have the tickets. And now, here's this week's Banner Monday. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Banner Monday, where we kick off each week by doing what IU fans love more than anything else, talking hoops. This is the 11th edition of Banner Monday, and it is our 467th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the afternoon of Monday, January 14th, 2018. I am your host, Jared Morris, and let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call. And that is with our Hoosier Proud Banner Moment. And this week's Banner Moment occurred on Friday evening when Sam Vecini, who covers college hoops in the NBA draft for The Athletic, tweeted the following, quote, Among the 388 players in Division I to take at least 50 shots at the basket in half-court settings, Romeo Langford ranks number one in finishing efficiency at 78% per synergy. That's impressive, and it gets better. Romeo is also number one in the percentage of possessions at the rim that result in free throws at 16.4%. And this means that he is by far the leader in points per possession around the rim at a staggering 1.738 points per possession. Think about that. Every time Romeo takes a shot at the rim, he's generating close to two points. It's astounding, and no one else is even really close. Next on the list among players from Power 5 conference schools, Zion Williamson at 1.571 points per possession. And what's so crazy about this is that Romeo is a 6'6 freshman. 
Most of the other names near the top of the list are big men who do most of their work in the paint, guys like Moses Brown and Daniel Gafford. And a freshman, especially one with Romeo's relatively slight build, isn't supposed to have the strength and guile to be that effective around the basket. Yet Romeo is, and it's no fluke. We see it game in, game out. Romeo possesses a breathtaking amalgamation of skills, instincts, and natural athletic talent that enable him to create points seemingly at will anytime he's able to get into the paint. And in case you hadn't noticed, his three-point shot is coming around. He's seven for his last 15 from deep and shooting 40% overall in Big Ten play. If the improved outside shooting is a harbinger of things to come, and if his at-the-basket efficiency sustains moving forward, Romeo will be one of the most lethal offensive weapons in all of college basketball over the next two months. And when you have a guy like that, you're a threat to win every game you play. All right, joining me for this week's Mailbag, he's a columnist for The Big Lead, a co-host of The Hangover, and he thoroughly enjoyed his one Sunday of Patriots fandom over the weekend. Screw the Chargers. He is Ryan Phillips. Ryan, anything to rant about today? Go, Pats, go. Uh, <laughs> Still? Are, are you going to oh, no, no, be no. residual? No, no go okay. Chiefs. Go okay. Chiefs. <laughs> hope, they, hope they dominate. I'm actually rooting for the Saints to win it all, I think, this year, just for Drew Brees. I don't know. I, I, I like the guy. Uh I want to, first of all, give a shout out to my coworker at the big lead, Ryan Glassfield, does a lot of amazing media pieces and, and really a great reporter and writer uh, and feature writer. He and his wife uh, are now proud parents. They gave, uh, she gave birth over the weekend to a lovely baby girl. So congratulations, Ryan. Uh, as for the Romeo Langford statistic you gave, I'm going to take a different tact on it and say that just proves my point from the last post game show that Romeo needs to attack more. I mean, it's he's so good. And I think that it's it's the fact that he's he's such a good kid and he wants to defer to his teammates so much. I think in some cases he needs to be a little more selfish and and he's so efficient when he drives and the results are so good when he drives and gets to the rim that he really needs to be more aggressive and and more selfish at times, especially when things aren't going well for the team. And, and not a knock on him. It's something that develops when you're young and 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 will get better. But I, I really do think that that's a, something that needs to happen towards the second half of the season is he needs to learn when to dominate and take over games. And uh, he, he did a lot of that at the end of the Maryland game. Hopefully it carries over because they'll need some of that until this team gets fully healthy. Yep. All right. So on tap for today's Banner Monday, Ryan and I are going to answer your questions. Then we will take a look at IU and around the Big Ten with Mike DeCourcy in our second segment. And then Josh Wilson from the Inside Out Pod is here to help me preview IU Nebraska. Remember that Basketball 201 is now on its own on Tuesdays. That'll be broadcast live uh, Tuesday at 2 Eastern. So we got a quick turnaround. We're doing this, and then the IU-Nebraska game is in just a few hours. Um, but we're excited to dive in, answer your questions, and... Uh, just talk some more basketball. So, Ryan, let's uh, let's tackle some questions. What do you say? Let's do it. So, this first one, this comes from Jeff. He says, how much should we read into the Jerome Hunter post of him getting back to some practice? Uh, is it a late Christmas present or just a teaser for next year? So, just so everybody knows what this is, uh, Eddie Cotton retweeted this. It was something that Jerome posted on Instagram of himself and Cook Hall. Like, he, you know, made a long three-pointer, you know, and then I don't remember exactly what it said. It was, you know, something like getting ready or something like that. Um, obviously... Awesome to see that Jerome is up, taking shots, you know, getting ready to work out. I would not read too much into this. There is a huge, huge difference between taking some shots on your own in sweatpants at Cook Hall and playing competitive basketball. I have heard nothing that leads me to believe that Jerome Hunter is going to play this year. Obviously, if he does, I'll be pleasantly surprised, but I haven't seen anything. So just take this as, hey, that's awesome that 
you know, he's up working out, shooting around, that kind of thing. But I would not take it to mean that it's really any more likely that he's actually going to play this year. You have anything else to add to that, Ryan? No, I think that's I think that's a fair assessment. Look, I think that it, that it's great news that that Jerome is starting to look healthy and and stuff like that. I don't know if he's going to play this year. Maybe he will. Maybe it'll be one of those things where he runs well in practice, uh, you know, starts doing some good things, and they say, you know what, we could use a boost at the end of the year. Let's let's get him in there. But I wouldn't pin your hopes on that when you've missed this much of the season. It's really hard to push forward and, you know take that next step to to really waste a year of eligibility this far into the season. So I hope he's getting healthy. I think we all hope that, uh, but let's not get our hopes up too much. If, if something, and that way also, if, if he comes back, it's, it's a bonus and we're all happy, but we're, I wouldn't expect it. Uh, yeah. And same on race. I haven't heard anything else on him that leads me to believe he's any closer to playing. Uh, in fact, some of the chatter is even a little bit more pessimistic about him coming back this season. So, you know, it's chatter. I mean, we just, we have to wait and see. It's kind of one of those. I know we all are going to wonder and we want to see these guys out there, but with those two especially, it's probably worth just putting them out of your mind right now until you hear something definitive like they've started practicing or something like that. Because, you know, otherwise, you know, you might read into this Twitter post or that and, it's just it's not enough to to really base anything on. We just have to wait and see with those guys. Anything we get from either of them, I think at this point should be considered a bonus for the rest of the year. Uh, okay, next yeah, question. I would say, let, me, oh. let me just add with race. I mean, there yeah. is a positive that he's traveling with the team and all that stuff, but that doesn't mean that he's close to coming back. But it's a positive step forward that you know for a while they weren't even letting him on the bench during games and things like that. weren't letting him travel, so he's traveling. He's with the team. Obviously, positive developments. But yeah, I would. We're gonna know when we know. Pretty much. I mean, that that's as far as that goes with them. We'll know when they update us and we hear it. I, and and so we both have heard chatter from on both of those guys, and it doesn't sound great. So we'll we'll see as it goes. But it's one of those things where we didn't hear. I mean, we heard the rumors that Rob Finnessy was going to play at Maryland about what an hour before the game. Mm-hmm. We we both got sort of text from people that that he was going to play. So uh, you don't really know until things happen, and they happen kind of fast sometimes. All right. This is from John. He said, Tim Priller posted on Twitter complaining about the fans' harsh criticism of this year's team. I agree. And by the way, here's the tweet that Tim sent. Uh, it said, quote, it's so funny when your team is winning and everything is good. As soon as you lose a game or two, people blame or say certain players suck. Go kick rocks. Y'all are lame and no one cares about your opinion. Good for Tim for stepping up and uh, having, having the current Hoosiers back. Uh, John says, I agree with the injuries uh, and being only the second year for Archie. I think it's been harsh. Now, here's this gets to the heart of John's question. Does this sort of criticism affect our ability to land five-star kids? Kind of a double-edged sword. On one hand, it's good to have high expectations. On the other hand, maybe it's best for the average fan to leave the coaching and motivation of the team to the coaches. What do you think, Ryan? I, don't, I can't imagine that this would necessarily sway a five-star kid's decision, um, seeing criticism, because I would think at most of the top schools you're going to have an irrational segment of the fan base that is just upset no matter what and feels like it's okay on social media to toss out insults and nasty things that that you would never say to somebody's face. Exactly. No, I, I, I think it it it's something if you think that like kids and their parents don't watch that kind of stuff and follow that kind of stuff, you're wrong. They do. And they see that they peruse. They definitely do. 
they peruse message boards, they watch social media. They, you know, so if there is one fan base that is like criticizing a kid or says like this kid better come to school or this is going to happen, they know that they're w- aware of that. So I, I've heard people say that like, oh, you know, the play, the, the players don't care. They don't pay attention to social media. They don't pay attention to message boards. They're on that stuff constantly, just like the rest of us, because they're fans of basketball and they're, you know, they're doing their research. And, and so, yes, I think there is an element of them checking that stuff uh, when it's overwhelming. I think it could affect it, uh, a decision <clears throat> like, you know, a, a lot of decisions get affected by the temperature on social media surrounding coaches. And, and I know that there are some players who have chosen to go elsewhere because Based on what the fans were saying, certain coaches may not be around, you know, for the whole four years that kid's going to be in school. And and uh, there's a lot of times these kids, I know people always say, well, pick the, you know, pick the school for the school, not the coach and not the basketball program. Well, that that's that's just unrealistic. And and, and pick it for that, the post game show. Yeah, there go, you go. go where they have the best fan run post game show. That's we're going to get decide. every player then. Uh <laughs> No, but it, it's it, there is an element of that, but I don't think that's going to sway a kid if it's overwhelmingly negative and it's all negative. It's a hundred percent negative. Yeah, that 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 could affect a kid. I don't think. Indiana's but that's not even current, that's not even realistic. I mean, the, no, and I don't think Indiana's current climate's going to be an issue. But look, there were times during the Mike Davis era where the fan base was entirely negative, and geez. a ton of Indiana kids who would have gone to IU and loved Mike Davis went elsewhere because they just didn't like it. They didn't like the atmosphere around the program. So there is an element of that. And that is part of the decision that kids make is, you know, what are the fans like? What is the atmosphere like? What is, cause, cause the fan attitude bleeds into the program. It really does. And yeah, when I was on campus for about four years, we heard about kids all the time who wanted to come. Greg Oden was a kid who wanted to come to Indiana. But he didn't think Mike Davis was going to be there, and he thought it was just going to be a negative black cloud over the program. And why would he go? And so he went to Ohio State, and that's a guy who's a program changing recruit. And so it, I wouldn't say right now it's a problem, but there is an element of Indiana basketball where people are so the fans are so fatalistic and just waiting for the other shoe to drop and things to be bad right now because we've had a lot of bad over the last you know two decades pretty much. And so kind of have to dial back expectations, let things play out and let a program develop instead of just after every loss, making it like it's the worst thing ever. Yeah. And social media amplifies the vocal minority. That, it that's does. the other thing to remember is that, you know, you can have, you know, 99 fans that are positive and there's one voice that's negative and, you know, people like us will react to it. You know, so, I mean, we, we have to be careful with that, too. So, but I don't, for the most part, oh, we I, get accused, I, I, we're, we're pretty well balanced on this show, I think. And we get accused of being sunshine pumpers and, you know, like everything's fine. Well, no, it's just, it's basketball. Things go wrong. Things go right. Doesn't matter how well you game plan or whatever. It's a game and the ball bounces funny sometimes. I mean, you have to have that perspective. Not everything's going to be perfect and not every team's going to go undefeated. You're going to lose games and you're going to lose games in wacky ways. That's just the way it is. So I think sunshine pumpers, that's sunshine weird. pumpers. That man. needs to be like a band name. Like if I ever start a band, I'm going to be Jared Morris and the sunshine pumpers. I think, <laughs> I think that would work out. It's well. like a 70s rock fusion band. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, so let's hit a few more of these quickly. I know you don't have a ton of time with us this afternoon. Um, this is from Bill and I'm going to have to rely on you to answer this because I don't have a lot. Uh, he said, if this season's Hoosier squad was a comic strip character from a Marvel comic superhero to Beetle Bailey, 
Who would it be? I know we're not quite Charlie Brown from Peanuts. My guest was something like the little boy in the family circle, the one who's always having to learn hard lessons. That's pretty good. I mean, yeah. it's, such a, it's such a broad question. It's really hard to answer. Um, I don't know. I it, it's, it's very tough because there are so many different elements. Like, I think each guy could kind of be a, a different character. Like, I would put Jawan Morgan would be Iron Man. You know, he's not necessarily... Yeah. He doesn't have, like, superpowers, but he makes the best out of everything. Kind of a Batman-ish guy, actually. Uh, Romeo Langford mm. would be Superman. I mean, he just is um yeah i don't know but you know there's there's different there's different guys that would be different things i don't think the fan the entire team could be a comic book strip but if you give you know what let me think about this and we will re-answer this on thursday during okay. assembly radio yeah i need a little so, more time to think about it yeah. too so let's do that so bill uh bill was the question bill this is from bill good question bill we will readdress that so you have to listen on thursday okay that seems fair i'll accept the invitation on behalf it's of just, bill. there's so many to choose from you know i gotta kind of there are up. Um, okay, this is from Max. Again, another one of these questions we seem to get every week. If uh, McRoberts and Davis keep getting healthier, and that's a big if on both of those guys, is there still a meaningful role for Fitzner on this team? I, outside of needing a tall guy due to injury problems, is there a way Archie can make him a positive contributor in the rotation? I want to say this right now. What are we, four hour, five hours uh, uh, before the tip of the Nebraska game? Maybe three and a half hours before the tip of the Nebraska game? I think Fitzner is going to have an impact tonight. I think he's going to hit two or three threes, and I'll tell you why. We're going to talk about this in the preview. Nebraska's biggest weakness defensively is defending the pick and roll, and they're especially not good at defending the pop man. And so I think if you can get Fitzner in there, run some pick and roll actions, which Indiana has been doing more of, and you would certainly think the matchup would dictate you maybe to get him popping out for a couple of open looks from three. And I think this could be one of those games that we've alluded to all year, Ryan, where Fitzner's going to come in, he's going to hit three or four threes and help us win a game. It's not going to happen game in, game out, obviously, but I think this could be one of the nights that it could happen because of the matchup. So just keep your eye on that. Um, but what do you think about his role generally? I mean, it's he's got to find some confidence. I think that's the key. It's it's and, and if he hits two or three threes, I think you've got that confidence back, and maybe you can because that that's his whole role on this team was to be a guy who could spread the floor. Yep. And, and and that was it from day one. He was never going to be a great post player, never going to be a great defender. He was he was going to be okay at those things, but he needs to be able to spread the floor and in doing so he's going to take the opposing team's big man away from the basket create driving lanes where there's no rim protector that's basically his role and he hasn't been hitting threes hasn't been finding open threes he should be able to find open threes and right now i think he's not taking them because he's you know he's got he's got just he's mind effed like, i'm sorry i don't i don't know how to better say that but he's just his mind is messed up and, pretty good and way to has, say it i think he has no confidence and uh, he needs to hit a couple in a game. I mean, you can hit a thousand in practice until you hit a couple in a game. It 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 doesn't change your the way you play. And so, and he's still shooting forty percent. It's just that the bulk of those came in two games. Yeah, and he's just not shooting anymore. He's not even letting it go, and yeah. and he needs to because look, I I would rather have him fire a three from the perimeter than Devontae Green have a floater in the lane. You know, like we've seen, but sometimes. Quite frankly, we talked about this on the postgame show. Devontae has to do that because nobody else is shooting and nobody else is doing anything. He feels like I'm going to attack and get into the lane. And I may not like that shot, but I really don't see a ton of other options on the floor, especially when Jawan Morgan and Romeo Langford aren't on the floor. So I, I think that he's a guy who needs to be able to do some stuff for this team. Um, as far as Duran and, and Zach go, man, those guys got to get healthy. I mean, you need, you, you're going to need them. 
It's it's a thin roster right now. And by healthy, we're talking like 65%. Because that's about all Zach's going to be. And Duran clearly wasn't even that against the Maryland game. I mean, no, he just Durant, needs to get to the point where we can run up and, and down didn't the Archie say after the game... Archie he was, said he shouldn't have played him. He shouldn't have played. Yeah, yeah. and and I, I agree with that. And But again, you know, when a kid tells you, I'm ready to go, I'm ready to go, I'm ready to go, at some point, you kind of got to trust them because you can only tell so much. And you kind of got to trust them with their own bodies. And 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 he wasn't ready to go, so... We're all hoping he gets healthy quickly because when he's in there, <clears throat> excuse me, offensively, he dominates on the block. He really does. He's fantastic when he gets the ball in the post, but uh, it feels almost like an automatic basket half, at least half the time. He's a good passer, ball. too. And he's a very good passer, and he reads double teams well, but he's just not healthy. And yep. and uh, so we all want him back, definitely. And most importantly, he's a post defender, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, takes a little pressure off the one. All right, so this might be our last question. I actually want to pull one from Twitter because you just mentioned Devontae on runners. Um, so I got this question from Indie Sports Partisan, and I looked up the numbers, but I want to get your impression before I tell you the numbers. He says, I'm curious what Devontae Green's three-point percentage is. Oh, I didn't even recognize that he said three-point percentage. But anyway, his three-point percentage when he catches and shoots while spotted up versus when he shoots while trying to create off the dribble. Which one I, do you think is higher? I would say spot up for sure. Uh, just by watching games. I might be wrong, but that would be what I would say. That's what I would have thought, too. Here are the numbers. Uh, Devontae on catch-and-shoot opportunities is 7 of 18 overall. All seven of the makes are three-pointers. So his effective field goal percentage is 42%. I'm not sure what the breakdown is on just three-pointers, but okay. I would imagine most of his catch-and-shoot opportunities yeah. have been threes. I'd agree. On dribble jumpers, Devontae is 11 for 21, and five of those are three-pointers. So his effective field goal percentage is 64.3%. Wow. So... Not huge sample sizes, 21 on one and 18 on the other, but he's been much better off the dribble. Now, what do you think Devontae's percentage is on runners? It's got to be low. Three for 15, which ranks yeah. in the ninth percentile nationally. That yeah. certainly matches the eye test. I mean, and, he's a smaller guy trying to go I into know. the lane, you know, and, and he's not great at it, but it, he does create things when he goes in there. I just wish that he wouldn't wind up with a runner every time. He does. You know? I mean, it's... As he evolves, you know, because again, I think that those first two numbers will probably surprise some people. Like, Devontae's pretty good shooting off the dribble. He does get a little crazy when he's in the lane with some of the runners, and especially if he's close for what look like easy layups and he does his spin stuff and it ends up, you know, bricking or airballing. If he, you know, I feel like this is the next step for him. If he can get rid of some of those, which are as good as turnovers, even if they don't go in the turnover category, he's going to improve his offensive efficiency. You know, and so if he can drive, and Archie talked about this before the last game, if he can drive and get into the lane and look to kick a little bit more, you know, or find guys instead of just putting up those runners, now maybe you get a higher percentage look. And that, you know, again, you look for these marginal areas where you can improve the offense when it's not being initiated by Romeo and Jawan. I think that's one spot. I think Devontae takes too much criticism, but certainly in that particular area, I think there's room for improvement. Yeah, for sure. And I also think that he just needs to get better at passing when he's not, you know, squared up and 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 moving the ball. I think that sometimes he floats passes and stuff when he's driving and he just needs to focus more on on getting the ball to his to his teammates. Yeah. Coach says, "Come on, Jared, let him play his game. That's what he does." <laughs> and again, I I think the biggest the thing with Devontae is he's being asked to really like play a game that isn't his. You're really asking a guy to like you know, hold back on his instincts. And we all expect that to happen just at the snap of a finger, which is why I think you got to be a little bit patient. And maybe Devontae is not a guy that Archie would have recruited 
but he's trying to make the best of it because that's the guy that he inherited. And I think we've seen growth in Devontae. So I am not as down on Devontae, I guess, as others because, I don't know, maybe I'm more willing to see the incremental growth. Um, and, but others could also say, you know, maybe I'm unrealistic about how far away he is from being the guard that we all want him to be. Probably room uh, on both sides of that argument. Yeah. Um, but again, do you know what his uh, efficiency level is running the pick and roll this year? He's what in the 90th percentile. It's really good. Romeo, just for context, Romeo is in the 95th percentile nationally. Devontae has been really good running the pick and roll, and that's the weakness for Nebraska. So I would expect to see him in some pick and roll actions tonight. And if you can get he and Romeo going, I think that could be a big source of offense for Indiana tonight. Um, sure. All right. One more question for you, Ryan. All right. This is from, uh, from Leland. Does the constant repetition of emphasizing one sport contribute to the ongoing injury situation? From high school or perhaps before, it seems that an athlete is committed to one sport and plays it exclusively and continually. Would time off help the athlete recover from the constant use and mitigate the injuries to the body? So I don't know if he's talking specifically about IU's injury situation here, but maybe just injuries more in general. Uh, I don't know if, if it's devotion to one sport. I am for letting kids play multiple sports and actually encouraging them to play multiple sports, mainly because you're interacting with different people. And I think that, that the social aspect of sports for a kid's upbringing is as important as the athletic uh, endeavor there. I've always said that I think that it, that the, the most mature and well-rounded people played team sports growing up. And, and that's, that's not always true, but I think that you tend to learn a lot about working with others and how to kind of achieve a goal that's not just for you if you play team sports. And uh, I think that playing multiple team sports and interacting with different people, and uh, I think that's a positive. As far as injuries go, I don't know. I, I, it, that's, that's really tough because each injury is so different. And, and and every situation is different. I do think that playing year round, like we do now. I mean, when I when I back when I played in the olden days, uh, we would play basketball in the spring. Wearing Chuck Taylors. Yeah, exactly. Really short shorts. Uh, we would play in the spring. which are back now, by the way. I know it's great. Uh, I I could sell some of my old ones. They'd be vintage. Uh, I. We used to play basketball as a winter sport. Obviously, we play in the winter, and then we would take a couple weeks off. I played baseball, but then we would do uh, spotty tournaments. We would do it every couple weeks. We'd have like a basketball tournament for you know a couple days or a week or whatever. But it wasn't every weekend, and it wasn't all summer too. And uh, we would have a couple tournaments during the summer. We had them planned out way in advance. We knew how to build around it, but it wasn't. You know, every weekend we weren't in a different spot. Every weekend we weren't traveling to a different spot. Every weekend we weren't going somewhere else. I felt like we had a chance to be kids as well. And I think now these kids grow up and you see a guy like Zion Williamson. I mean, you see the result of playing all the time. He's unbelievable. I mean, that guy is more prepared for the, was more prepared for the NBA stepping on campus at Duke than 10 years ago. A lot of kids were on draft night. And the reason why is he's played all over the world. He's played the top players for four years and and played in all these tournaments and all that stuff. So it prepares you really well for the professional aspect of it, but I'm not sure it prepares you, you know, for life because how many free weekends did Zion Williamson or any of these guys have in the summer to hang out with their friends and be, you know, normal kids? And and it's very rough. And and when you have that kind of ability. Uh, obviously people want to develop it and take advantage of it and, and, you know, make you better as well. But I also feel like it, you become sort of a businessman at a very young age 
And so that's my concern with the specialization and with, uh, you know, constantly playing you around. I'm sure it can't be good for your body, I, but I'm not a doctor. I can't tell you that, but I, it, it can't be good constantly putting your body through that abuse. Cause look, running up and down a hardwood floor for hours on end is not good for your spine. It's not good for, you know, your whole body. Trust me. I got back issues. I know I, I you know, I, there are some days I wish I'd played a little less basketball because of that, but, uh, it's not good for your knees. It's not good for your ankles. It's not good for your back. Uh, but I, you know, that's long-term stuff. I don't know about in the short term. I don't know about, you know, how that impacts, but I would say that I think that there is an aspect to this where these people become commodities at a really young age. And that kind of bothers me. And I would really like to see the AAU culture, sort of dial back on that and just let these kids be kids and yeah, play and go to these tournaments because it does make them better and it does make them more effective and it's good for their development. But at the same time, I don't think our number one concern should be their development as players. It should be their development as human beings. It's a quaint thought. I agree with you. I certainly want to bring up my kids that way, but I think the the cat's kind of out of the bag or the genius out of the bottle on that one. As long as you can make money off somebody. Yeah, I don't don't think that's that's going to change. Uh, by the way, tweet of the afternoon from Mike Lewis, who's back in Bloomington, an assistant coach from Nebraska. He said, walk back to the hotel today from Assembly Hall. 20 years go by and you forget how nice campus is. Probably should have spent more time there. And he's got the little laughter emoji pictured standing next to the sample gates. So Mike Lewis. Back you, think he was, uh, you think he was ditching class a lot? Is that what Mike's saying? <laughs> Going to or, tutor? No, I, th- I think what he meant is they probably just didn't have that much time. Yeah, he's probably no, practicing all the time and you know, traveling and doing all that stuff. All right, man, I know you got to get back to work. Uh, you'll be on the post-game show tonight, right? Of course. Okay, Why I figured. I, I figured. Well, I don't know. It's early. It's Yeah, it's true. It's before your wake-up time. Tip. Usually, we have to worry about Andy's bedtime. We got to worry about your wake-up time on these early Yeah, I know. I'm usually asleep at 3.30 in the afternoon. Thanks, Jared. I appreciate that. <laughs> It's, it's happened before. It's actually it's actually pouring <laughs> rain here, so maybe I will doze off. <laughs> doze no, off. please don't. Please don't. Yeah, I will. Please don't. All right, man. Uh, I'll talk to you in a few hours. Later, guys. All right. Coming up on the Assembly Call, it is time for our Big Ten Roundup with Mike DeCourcy from BTN and the Sporting News. We're going to get his thoughts on Indiana's performance at Maryland and try with great difficulty to pick our midseason All-Big Ten teams. Stick with us here on the Assembly Call. Welcome back to Banner Monday. Each week here in our second segment, we zoom out to get an objective opinion on our Hoosiers and to kind of take a look at how things are going across the Big Ten Conference. And there's no one better to do that than Mike DeCourcy, who covers Big Ten hoops for BTN in addition to his columns for the Sporting News. Mike, welcome back to Banner Monday. Thank you, Jared. Well, uh, great to be back. And boy, is this going to be an interesting week of Big Ten basketball starting tonight. It is. I, I feel like we're going to be able to say that every Monday this season, you know, I because like absolutely. no matter what the matchups are, you look at it and you're like, oh, that's a good matchup. That's a good matchup. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's just going to be that kind of season. Um, so let's start as we always do. Let's talk about Indiana's most recent game. What were your takeaways from the Hoosiers loss at Maryland? Yeah. You know, first of all, I, I, I thought that they played terrifically in the first half, especially at the defensive end. They did a great job. And I found the aftermath of the game almost as interesting as the game itself uh, because I, I, I saw a lot of reaction on Twitter to how it eventually got away from them. And there was a lot of, gosh, we got 
kicked on the boards and didn't guard in the second half. And, and none of that's untrue. But I think you have to look at what you put on the floor at that point. Deron Davis, uh, barely able to play. You're in a circumstance where you're playing Jawan Morgan, who's already an undersized center. And you're playing it against probably the most physically powerful front line in the Big Ten. One of the certainly one of the two or three. I, I might vote for them based on Bruno Fernando alone, but one of without a doubt. I mean, them, Minnesota. Michigan State, and then the conversation probably twi uh, twi trickles down a little bit. Uh, and I, I think you have to be who you are. And in that iteration on Friday night, they were small and they were quick uh, and they were offensively gifted. And I thought that there were points in the first half when they had a chance to really bury Maryland and not just put them down, but I mean, put them down by bucket loads. And I thought that they let they let some possessions get away from them that they didn't have to. And when Maryland started its run, I thought their offensive execution and their shot selection still wasn't pristine. And when you're in that circumstance and you're playing small, and 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 Justin Smith, even you know, even is is in foul trouble and you don't have full access to him, well, then you have to be the best version of what you are. And I didn't think they were for enough of that game to walk out of there with a victory. Yeah, certainly on the defensive end without Justin Smith in the second half. I mean, they were just a sieve. It was one of their worst performances defensively, and they just, even Romeo's you know greatness at the end of the game wasn't able to overcome it. So. But I think, I think it was more about their offense. And I yeah. know that they shot a good number, and I know that, they, you know, that, that the stats weren't bad, but some of these things are situational. Yeah. Some of these things are anecdotal, if you want to call it that. And it's, okay, there's this moment or these couple of moments where you can just tell Maryland, hey, go ahead and quit. We're not letting you back in. And instead you said, hey, Maryland, doors open a little bit. If you guys want to get your act together, you got a chance. And that's what happened. They got their act together. And then when Maryland got their act together, there's, there's that feeling that you, again, you have to be really good at what you are. And they weren't. And I think a lot of that, again, goes back to, and I, you know, I, I, I probably ring this bell as much as anybody, especially anybody that's not on the inside of the tent at Indiana. I, I, the injuries to Robert Finnessy took away from their development as an offense, as, a, as an offense with definition. And so some of the things that I'm talking about, there's an explanation for it, but I'm not sure there's an excuse for it because you, you're, you've played, everybody that's been in that game, that's taking shots that maybe aren't uh, aren't ideal or making passes that probably aren't there. Those guys have all played enough basketball to know that in their circumstance, they had to be better. And unfortunately, they weren't quite. Yeah, no, it's very well put. You mentioned the injuries. So is there any way that you can kind of put Indiana's injury situation kind of into perspective for us? You know, because obviously the amount and the type of injuries have really, they've certainly felt abnormal, but I'm kind of wondering how abnormal it is. And if there are any kind of relevant examples of teams that struggled with injuries like this through January, and then mostly got healthy and kind of kicked it into another gear down the stretch. Cause that's obviously what we're all hoping for. Well, I think that probably the best example of that, and you wouldn't necessarily want to transpose their ending onto yours, but Michigan state in 2016, 
when they won the Big Ten championship with Denzel Valentine as their star. Remember, Denzel missed a lot of that year. He missed, I think, five games That's right. in early January. Uh, they had uh, multiple players. I think they had five players miss multiple games that year. Gavin Schilling missed a big chunk of time. And obviously the most, uh, the most compelling injury was to Denzel, but they, they had injuries all through their lineup and, uh, and they were able to get most of those players back for the stretch and they played great in February and they wind up as a number two seed. And then they get um, a Just stop there. Just stop there. <laughs> but you can't count that. You can't count on the idea that whatever yeah. happens to Indiana, that you're going to get a misseeded team like Mrs. Like, uh, excuse me, Middle Tennessee State. Stuck in your in your in your bracket. So if this team gets a number two seed, sign me up right now. Oh yes, <laughs> sign me up. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But I I think that this team. The good thing about the injuries that have occurred, you know, good thing about the is none of them was severe and debilitating, except maybe Duran's, which seems to be nagging. Um, and and none of although they all cost time, none of them cost. A, a, a long stretch of time. So you didn't have to completely reform your team during that absence and then completely reform it again during the return of that player. So what you've had to date is a series of disruptions. Uh, we lost some time in late November because of it. We lost some time in early December because of it. And now you're losing or have lost, I should say, because it's over now, uh, some time in mid-January, early, excuse me, early January because of it. And you still have a lot of time. It's really two months left in the Big Ten season. Uh, there are eight more episodes of Big Ten and beyond. That's how I keep count. So there's two full months uh, left of the season. So a lot of time to get better. Now, the hard part of getting well, so to speak, is that you don't go out and get three games that, you, that are like th those are three W's you chalk up just a question of how you perform. You know, uh, every game almost you're playing in this league is boy, we got to play to win this one. Uh, it's just the reality of the league. There's no game that you look at and say, that's a W. And, and Rutgers, uh, the other night, uh, you saw that with Ohio State. Uh, uh, Illinois pushed Michigan last Thursday to, to into the final 10 minutes. Michigan's one of the two, three best teams in the country. So there's no game that's going to make you well. You've got to get well in practice, get better, and then be ready to play on game night. I'm going to go back to one thing you said about the injuries, you know, about not being totally debilitating because two that are easy to forget about are Jerome Hunter and Race Thompson, you know, two guys who were expected to be rotation guys. Now you haven't had them all year. So, exactly. you know, so it hasn't necessarily, but you did have them in practice and, you know, Jerome won the gold Jersey before he got hurt. I guess like when you add that into it, where you have, you know, your second best recruit and then another, you know, top 100 guy in race Thompson that you expected to provide really valuable depth behind Juwan, you know, does that change the calculus at all when you're trying to figure out, you know, what kind of injury curve you grade Archie on for this season or kind of assess the team on? Yeah, when you get to the end, sure. I mean, yeah. uh, you expected to, and because especially when you look at a game like Fridays, where your single biggest issue was he weren't big enough. Uh, and then that's not changing necessarily. Duran makes you bigger. He doesn't make you big, but he makes you bigger. And at times he's been available and at times he has not. And that was one of the knots, and that was probably a bad night to be not. I mean, a game against Ohio State, he's not available. Um, look, uh, yeah, you, you've got some good, very good big guys on the team, but they're not going to blow you away the way Bruno does with his physicality and his athleticism, yeah. dynamism. He's just amazing. 
and he's playing so hard and he's playing and he's, and he's effective player now. And so there's, if you, if you happen to miss the run against Ohio state, it wouldn't punish you as much as it did in that particular game. But you're right. I mean, if you, when you go back toward the end, you know, the, I don't, I don't factor those guys in because they haven't played. And they're and not so, going to. So it's, yeah. And so yeah. it hasn't felt like they were a part of this team. Yeah. And it felt like that if you had all the guys who were a part, who are a part of this team all the year, you'd be in, even though you would be too small to maybe win a champ national championship or maybe even a league championship, you'd be good enough to be really good. And so I, that's kind of why I always just sort of slice those two out of the, out of the uh, equation yeah. because it just, they were never a part of this. And it's really more about, you know, it's been more about uh, Devante and about Deron and about, uh, now Roberts and and uh, as well as uh, Zach McRoberts. I mean, it's it's always been somebody um, that that you considered to be a part of the rotation because those guys were, then they weren't, and now they are again. I think part of the issue for Indiana fans is we've it has felt like for the last four or five years that every roster has had like you know a significant hole or a significant deficiency in terms of just how it was constructed. And you'll see that this year. It's like, man, why don't we have more experienced depth behind Juwan? Man, it would really be nice to have another wing. And it's like, oh, yeah, well, Jerome and Race were supposed to be on this team. So roster building, not necessarily the issue. It's just been just a confluence of, of crazy injuries that hopefully will not be an annual thing. And I, I don't think anybody expects that they will be. Um, okay, so let's look around the Big Ten. Start as we always do with our power rankings. Who is the current top four? Michigan, Michigan State. I have to assume Maryland has probably solidified their hold on the third spot, I would think. Yeah, those three are fairly easy to put in order at the moment. And I'm not saying that, you know, I don't think that Michigan and Michigan State are going to fall out of one, two. Uh, I, I don't expect that. I looked at the schedules uh, over the weekend for those two and for Maryland. And none of the, again, there's no easy schedule in this league. Nobody has one. I mean, it's impossible. Uh, because, you know, even if you had like, um, you know, all your road games were Rutgers, Penn State, Northwestern, Illinois, would you really feel, I mean, you might feel better about that than Michigan, uh, than at Michigan, at Michigan State, at Minnesota, and at Nebraska, say, or at IU, but you still wouldn't feel good. Uh, So there is no easy schedule, but I thought that, you know, whatever schedule door might have opened for Maryland, given where they are right now, it's not there. I mean, their schedule's really hard. Uh, so that's not going to be what gets them to that level. And although I think they, I, I do think they have the most high-end talent of any team in the league. Uh, Bruno Fernando and, and, and Jalen Smith will be probably the highest selected players in this league uh, when, when they, whenever it is that they enter the NBA draft. Uh, so I, and with, with Romeo being the, the one that would be uh, in that category. But in terms of having multiple, that they'll have the most, um, and so that they have that. But then the schedule, and then you know, and they still have are, are a little bit inconsistent on the wing. Uh, they you know they don't always get contributions from their wings, and when they do, it's not always the same guys. So I think that's probably the difference between them and Michigan and, and Michigan State, where the contributions for those guys are pretty consistent. Uh, Michigan Michigan circumstance. They, they can get it from anybody. I mean, it last since, since we returned to big 10 play off of the holidays, Michigan has had four different players lead them in scoring. And none of them has been their leading scorer. <laughs> has not. That is the most Michigan stat ever. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. 
Uh, you know, Iggy has teams have have decided that Iggy is the target for them, and I, it's understandable. He was great in the first two months, first uh, two months, um, but it doesn't help. I mean, they yesterday uh, Northwestern left open uh, Xavier Simpson, and he scored twenty four points, and they left open John Teske, and he scored seventeen, and so it just doesn't help you to play that way. Uh, I don't think that you can overweight any of their players unless you get lucky. I mean, if you overweight toward particular players and then the guy that you leave open has a tough day, then good for you. And then maybe you have a shot, but it it, it really makes it tough. You know, so it's those three. And then the fourth team, I think right now, Minnesota is in that spot. Hmm. It's, it's a, you know, I mean, it's going to be a road. Yeah, who wants spot. it? It's, it's going to change yeah. every week. It could change, you know, like I don't, I don't think they play tonight, but it could change tonight. I mean, it, it could change tonight if, if IU beats Nebraska, maybe they slide in. Who knows? Um, but it, it's going to be the, the those two spots, three and four. Uh, I think that they're going to include a lot of teams because there are, you know, when people talk about the Big Ten getting ten teams, it's because they have ten really good teams. I'm not sure whether or not the math can work on that. Um, I, I've done some calculations on it from when it from when something similar has happened in the past. And it's, you know, it's, it takes a really interesting confluence of events that I don't think that Rutgers, Penn state, Northwestern and Illinois will be up for. I don't think they're going to cooperate and say, you know what, we'll just stop. <laughs> We're not going to play hard anymore. We're not going to try to win. No, I think they're going to keep competing and keep doing things like what Rutgers did last week to Ohio state. We might have to up the degree of difficulty on this segment and have it be like power rank the conference three to seven. Then, <laughs> you really have to split some hairs. About one too. <laughs> yeah. Well, just because. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right, though. I don't. It's going to be really hard for either of those teams to fall out. Not that. Not that they couldn't, but it's tough to foresee it right now. All right. So speaking of difficult discussions, this was another question that came in for our mailbag, and I saved it for this conversation from JD. He said, "Who are your Big Ten All Conference teams right now?" Seems like a tough choice. Yeah, I'll say. I spent way <laughs> too much time on this earlier today, and I still don't feel really good about it. I'll start this, and I want to see if you agree. I feel like there are three locks. Like I, I write these guys' names down in pen: Let's Carson Edwards, Ethan Happ, and Cassius Winston. There you go. Absolutely okay. easiest thing to do. Yeah, to me, and even though you might question Cassius Winston's defense, his offense is so good. I mean, he just he's got to be there. So I had those three, and then I had a really hard time. Right. So who did you go with as your fourth and fifth? And I, I didn't. I didn't go with it. I don't know how is this officially done. Actually, do you have to do like guard, guard, forward, center, or do you just pick no, the five best players? Okay, I don't either. I just especially now with positionless basketball. Yeah, I just went five well, best players. Okay. Yeah, so you know, like it's not the same as football, where you know, if you pick eleven guys, no position, you might pick eleven quarterbacks. I mean, yeah. it's not. So, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, like uh, one year, two thousand and two, we had like four point guards. Uh, we had uh, Steve Logan and. Uh, and Jay Williams and Juan Dixon and uh, don't and say that Dave name on this Calvin podcast Gonzaga and Drew Gooden and because like the four they were the four best players in the country Drew was the least of that five I mean they, they were just the best so it didn't feel right to say oh no because you play the same position you got to sit no I, I didn't feel right so just to just try to pick the five guys who've had the biggest impact and it is really hard as you said when I got past those three I will give you a little uh, plug uh, for sporting news. We will have our midseason All-America team going up mm. tomorrow. And part of what made it easy, those three guys are all on there somewhere wow. in that in those 15 guys, three teams, one, two, three. 
Um, so that's done. Uh, and then the fourth guy for me, I thought about it and I said, I just have to put Xavier Simpson in there. Mm. It's just, it's, it's an odd pick. He's only averaging about eight points a game, but he's, he may be the most valuable player in the league right now. His defense is, is incredible. His leadership, he's the one constant that you can look at and say, he's there almost every night for them. Even when he's not scoring, he's creating, Yeah, uh, he's defending all the time. And so I went with him and, and look, I left out guys who are having great years so that I could put him in there. And anybody who says, no, it should be this guy. I can't argue with you because your guy, whoever that is, is really good. But I went with Xavier for that spot. And then the fifth spot was where it's tough. Cause now I've got, you know, I've got seven, eight candidates for that. Yeah. And I had to leave out James Palmer. I had to leave out Tyler Cook. Yeah. I had to leave out Romeo. Uh, Ooh. I know, I know. But I mean, it's not, look, like I said, I know. Tonight. I know. I mean, Romeo's great, having a fabulous year. And and Juwan's not far off that list as well. Uh, but I went with Amir Coffee. And again, some of that is wow. a momentum pick. Yeah. He's had an incredible stretch over the course of basically since, again, since we returned to Big Ten play. He's been amazing and at both ends in all ways. But that doesn't necessarily, you know, that's now, that's today. And remember, we're not even at the midpoint of the Big Ten season. Basically, we're uh, less than a third of the way through. I mean, we'd be a third of the way through, give or take, in a normal year. But remember, we're going 20 this year. Yeah. We've only won six for most teams. So this is this is about a quarter of the way through, basically. And see, what's interesting about that is most people would probably put Jordan Murphy on first just because of the double doubles and you know all the things that he does he's like first in the country in free throw rate too he's having i mean there's just so many guys having big seasons it was interesting what you said about Simpson cuz as soon as i got done with the first 3 i went to Michigan and i was like okay who's the Michigan guy right and i just i couldn't i couldn't parse it and that's what i said i feel like yeah. if you're going to do three teams you almost just have to do like a first team and a second team and then there's Michigan starting five <laughs> not that not that they're the third team but just right. because like you know how their you know their team is is better than the sum of the parts, and like you said, you know each guy can kind of step up. So it's hard for me to figure out the guy. I can't argue with Xavier Simpson, um, but to me, the next two guys uh, after after those two were Bruno Fernando and Romeo Langford. Um, right. Fernando just for the dominance, and maybe it's you know recency and domination bias from uh, just having seen him play, um, and then just you know. I'm curious to get your thoughts on whether you would put Romeo over Juwan or how you would rate those two. Because I went back and forth on it, but I eventually settled on Romeo because he's been better in Big Ten play, um, right. and simply because you know Juwan's had a couple of you know games this year where he's you know been out early in a game and it's really sunk Indiana. But that it's yeah. it's very difficult to parse those two. But it was almost more of a kind of a trajectory type thing for me. I think it, for me it was a consistency thing to an extent. Yeah. And some of it again is because of the fouls and because he's if you're if you're looking on like you said degree of difficulty, what Romeo is being asked to do, unless you factor in the class, the freshman, um, what Romeo is being asked to do is not as hard as what Juwan is being asked to do. Because he's being asked to play inside, outside, defend posts at basically 6-8. Yeah. Uh, that's hard. And so his job is harder. But Romeo has been more consistent through this year to this point. Again, it, 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 I wouldn't be shocked if both of them wound up on the first team. I mean, that would be IU's ideal because if it happened, that would mean that the rest of the season went spectacularly. You're not going to get two guys on a first team in this league unless you just, you know, really kick. 
So from that standpoint, it could be they, it could be both of them. Uh, they're both terrific, and both have had great years. But I think Romeo's been a little bit more consistent. He was the one it felt harder to leave off at this point. And again, I didn't feel you know I didn't feel bad about it because we're so it's so early in this conversation yeah. because a lot like I said with Amir, a lot of it just came from recency uh, and and recency of course is Big Ten play so. I felt like he was really being he he was really being good at a time that led into this. But you know, I, I one of the interesting going back to what you were saying about Michigan and their starting five. You think about it, their best player is Jordan Poole. He's their best guy. I mean, he's he is the he, he's the guy who does the most at on offense and defense. But there are days when they don't need him to be great, and other people won't let him be great. Their star player is Iggy Brazdakis because uh, he's so dynamic. Uh, he's been a leading scorer more often. He's leading team's leading scorer. Their most valuable player, like I said, is Xavier Simpson. Uh, and so it's really interesting. And then, you know, the guy who's probably been the most consistent is Charles Matthews. So it's, it's, that's what makes them so great is that they have all these different elements combining into a whole that has just been terrific. And, and it's, it's cool to watch. It's been fun to watch. And, and, it, it'll you know continue to unfold over the next two months. Yeah, I, I appreciate watching them play. Obviously, as an IU fan, I'd like to see them come back to the pack a little bit, but they're fun to watch play. You know, what's interesting about this conversation, we haven't mentioned Nick Ward, we haven't mentioned Lamar Stevens, haven't mentioned Caleb Wesson, Vic Law. I mean, there you go up and down the conference, they're guys having really strong seasons. And that's that's what makes a great conference is great players and, and really good coaches. And I think the Big Ten has both this year. So Yeah, I, I can say that, you know, I mean, look... I, there are two national championship contenders, I believe, in the league. And I at the at the start of the year, I might have said zero uh, that that legitimately you thought could do it. I mean, other than maybe way they got way way better than we thought. You know, I, I, they they didn't get that much better. I mean, Michigan just was better than even than I thought, and I had them higher than most. Michigan State, uh, Cash and and Josh have gotten so much better, and and Nick. They've gotten so much better that they are in that picture now, uh, you know, it, which not surprising that they made that progress, just that you couldn't necessarily count on it, but they have. So you've got that, those two, and then you've got more depth in this league than I think any I've ever seen. Because if you, when I compared them, when I talked about that 10 the other day, uh, the, 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 at the start of the conversation, I compared them to the 2011 Big East. And that was the year team that that was excuse me the year that got 11 big east teams into the tournament uh out of 16 and what one of the reasons they got 11 was because they were great but also because the bottom was awful i mean depaul won one game that year yeah. they were so good I, I i looked at it together combined that those the five teams that did not make it won 20 league games total and seven of those were by seton hall which was number 12 so the rest of them combined only won 13. And, and, and the, I think seven of those games that were out of those 20 were won against the upper 11. Seven out of 20. The rest were all just them beating on each other. Yeah, It's still early, and we haven't had a lot of Rutgers versus Ohio States yet. We saw how close Northwestern came to Michigan. We saw how close they came when they were at IU. Mm -hmm. They could still do some damage. Penn State beat Virginia Tech out of the league. They're really going the wrong direction right now, but I'm not sold that that's the way it's going to stay. Uh, and, you know, so I think that this league, top to bottom, I mean, to the very bottom, is as, is as strong and deep as I can remember. 
All right, Mike, let's close with this. Uh, tonight, obviously, we have Indiana-Nebraska. Saturday, Indiana-Purdue. What are the matchups in between those two that IU fans should pay attention to? Well, you know, I when you when you were going to ask, I was going to make a little joke about you should be aware of the Purdue game, but you already are, so <laughs> you're good. Well, uh, you know, <laughs> the, the beautiful thing about this league right now is that you, you turn on the television. If you want to watch some good Big Ten basketball, it's on every night, and the games are all good. So... That, you know, so it's hard to winnow it down. But Michigan on Saturday goes to Wisconsin. Uh, that's a huge game. Uh, obviously, it's a losable game for the Wolverines and uh, Spartan fans and Hoosiers fans will all be rooting for the Badgers, I would think. They've been surprisingly beatable at home. Yeah, I know. But you can't say that all of a sudden it's, you know, that it's not still a fortress. I, you know, it's, they've had a, they've had an odd year. Um you know, I think they've had a real rhythm problem on that team. Mm. They, they they can't seem to get, you know, Brad Davison struggled early with his, uh, you know, his transition back to playing off the ball. And now I think he's got it. Um, and now he's got it. And Travis, excuse me, uh, Demetri Trice can't make a shot, mm. uh, basically. I mean, maybe once or twice a game he strikes. But a guy who was literally shooting 60% from three at one point in the season is now you know, over the last several games, you know, not even at the Mendoza line. Uh, so they just can't seem to get in sync. And of course, Ethan Happ is great almost every night, but it's just, they. so, but when they put it together, we've seen they've beaten terrific teams. So big game for there. And then the other one that I, that struck my eye was Maryland, Ohio state, to, uh, you know, Maryland needs it to stay with the other two in at the top of the league. Uh, and Ohio State needs it to hang on. There, Ohio State is is already in a three game losing streak. Their next four games are pretty tough, mm. and that's one that you know it's at home. Uh, you got to think at home against a team that's you know that that although they're excellent, uh, they're basically your weight class, or at least you would hope. And so that's a game that Ohio State really needs. So should be fascinating to watch. Awesome. Well, Mike, as always, thank you for your insight. Next week, we'll be doing this on Tuesday. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day is Monday, so we're going we're gonna to do Banner Monday on Tuesday again. Uh, so we will look forward to hopefully uh, getting your impressions of two Indiana victories and seeing if the Hoosiers can squeeze their way back into your top four. Well, good luck to your <laughs> men, and I look forward to seeing all the games and talking to you next Tuesday. Absolutely. Thank you, Mike. All righty, and coming up on the Assembly Call, it is time for our game preview. IU Nebraska tips in two and a half hours. We're going to talk about it. Josh Wilson from the Inside Out Pod is here to tell us what to expect in tonight's game. Stick with us on the Assembly Call. To Banner Monday, each week here in our final segment, we dedicate it to previewing Indiana's upcoming opponent. The upcoming opponent is Nebraska in just a couple of hours, so a very quick turnaround. So we brought in Josh Wilson, who does a great job of previewing these games for us. Josh, also the host of the Inside Out pod, so he's uh, kind of drowning his Colts sorrows and just jumping right into talking about IU basketball. Turn the page quickly, and uh, fortunately you have a game on Monday to jump right into, which I'm sure is good. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's definitely great. The whole 1-0 slogan didn't turn out so hot. So <laughs> yeah, we're all on from Kansas City. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, still, uh, I think a, an auspicious first year for Frank Reich and seems like yeah. the Colts kind of got back on track. So that was nice yeah. to see. After that one and five start, I was expecting a top five draft pick. So yeah. I'm, I'm good with how the season ended. 
Yes. Um, all right, so let's jump into this game. Um, I, you know, I want to point out some of Nebraska's weaknesses, but, you know, I think it's important just to note, I think, off the top, maybe for more casual fans, I don't know how many casual fans are listening to this podcast because <laughs> it's not really geared toward the casual fan, but, you know, this is a good Nebraska team. Sometimes you see Nebraska in basketball and you think, okay, Nebraska at home, this should be a gimme win. Certainly not. Now, Nebraska has struggled on the road, so I think this is a game Indiana fans should rightly expect to win and that we need to win, but Indiana is going to have to play really good because Nebraska is a very, very solid and balanced team throughout their starting lineup. Yeah, and I think the big key is Justin Smith's going to have to stay out of foul trouble because uh, James Palmer hasn't quite looked himself uh, the last two games, and, you know, you know, they lost at Iowa and, you know, thankfully for his sake, you know, Bre- or Isaiah Roby came to play against Penn State. But I think Palmer's going to try to come out and really put his footprint on the game. So Justin Smith's going to have to play smart for about the first five minutes. Uh, and Indiana's going to have to have a good start, you know, much like Maryland, but continue to play well and uh, keep Nebraska kind of, you know, in check. Yeah, I mean, and... and- it, to me, one of the things that that Maryland game highlighted was just how important he is defensively. You know, because people mm-hmm. ask, why do we stop doubling in the second half? Well, because you didn't have your best defender out there, Justin Smith, who is so good at recognizing, you know, what to do and then quick enough to actually do it. And you're just, you're going to have more flexibility with him. And so, yes, he definitely is going to need to to stay out there. You know, where do you see as the areas that Indiana can really attack this Nebraska team, you know, cause to me, when you kind of dig into the numbers, there's a couple that stand out and I mentioned them earlier and we'll get into them, but from your watching them and just looking at the stats, where do you think Indiana has the advantage in this game? Well, I, I don't know. It's so much an advantage. I think, you know, Nebraska matches up pretty well just with size and the way that they play. So I think that'll be an even playing field. But I think Indiana's got to take, I guess, the advantage maybe they have on two-point field goal shooting and really attack Nebraska and make them, you know, foul you and make them, you know, go to the free throw line, play with that aggressiveness. You know, Nebraska doesn't have an extremely deep bench uh, whatsoever, and the guys that they do bring in really aren't effective. Um, so you got to really try to attack them, make them guard you or, you know, make them kind of play Olay defense, you know, if they're trying to stay on the floor versus sitting on the bench with two two fouls, you know, less than five minutes into the game. So I, I think it's really going to be all about penetration, swinging the ball, uh, you know, not taking a the first open three if it's not a really good look. Um, yeah. Just, you know, get Nebraska to swing defensively and then attack their wings because they're not going to want to foul real early. So I think Indiana's got a really good chance to get some easy buckets early on. Yeah, they don't foul. I mean, they don't put teams on the free throw line. And when you you look at their losses, they've had a guy or two in foul trouble. And that forces them to play to their bench. And they don't really like to do that. Like, they're starting five, you know, right up there with Michigan and Michigan State's among the best in the conference. But they just Mm -hmm. don't have many people that they can bring in off the bench. So I think you're absolutely right about that. They're not a great defensive rebounding team. Um, you know, so it would seem like Indiana might have a chance for second chance points. I will say you look at the numbers in synergy, they're in the 80th percentile in terms of not allowing putbacks. So they're giving up some rebounds, but they're pretty good at, you know, not allowing opponents to turn those into points. Uh, but still, you know, coming off a game against Maryland where rebounding was just awful. It would be nice to see, uh, you know, Indiana do a better job on the glass, you know, from an individual matchup standpoint, you talked about Palmer and he's a guy who, you know, uses a lot of possessions, takes a lot of shots. The one thing that became clear to me looking at the games they've won and the games they've lost is he can be a very inefficient volume shooter. You know, like he will take shots and he'll he'll miss a lot of shots, but he'll keep taking them. It seems to me like what differentiates his good games 
over his bad games more than anything is how often he gets to the line. Because even mm-hmm. in games where he's not making shots, he'll literally shoot like 14, 15 free throws. I mean, he has some big time, like double digit free throw games. And so that strikes me as something that's important for Indiana to defend him without fouling, not only to avoid foul trouble, but simply because if you do that, you know, yeah, he's an upperclassman, you know, but a place like Indiana, tough environment like Simon Scott Assembly Hall, you wouldn't expect a huge shooting night from him. And if you don't allow him to get to the line, now you depress his point totals. And that's a big part of what they do offensively. Yeah. And if I'm Archie, I think I just tell Justin just to play straight up. Really, when he, if he gets the ball in the post or on the wing, you know, maybe give him a step. But, you know, so if you, you think up, Justin will guard Palmer and not Roby? Yeah. I don't know. I think Palmer's more dangerous. So I think maybe you put Langford on Roby or maybe Aldo. I don't know how they'll match up, but I think Palmer, because. Really, Palmer's going to try to get his. I mean, he's he's averaging 19 and a half a game. Uh, I mean, he's there. There's nights he's gone for 30, uh, 29. I mean, he's yeah, he's done 30 a couple times, 29 a couple times. So I think you got to put your best defender on him and at least you know make him take tough shots. Even if you know Romeo's gardening or you know Juwan, whoever I I'm not sure who Nebraska's fifth starter is. I think it's that Thomas Allen. Thomas if Allen. Is he a, yeah, is he a big guy? I have believe he is. I believe he's a big guy because uh, Watson's that. the point, and then Copeland's kind of the two-three, and uh, they they play a really big lineup. Yeah. Al, okay. But, no, Allen Allen's a guard. He's six-one. Is he? Yeah. Okay. He, so he and Watson. So they have a couple of shorter guards. Then Palmer six-six, and then you got Roby at six-eight, and Copeland at six-nine. I mean, I almost, oh, yeah, you know, I almost wonder, especially given how Romeo has done, you know, like when he guarded Vic Law, where it was like mm-hmm. kind of a mono mono matchup against another team's best player. I wonder if you're Archie, if you start out giving him that challenge because there's there are probably still people right now who would put Palmer on first team all Big Ten over Romeo right. or sec, which I think is insane. I just yeah, I've I've never Palmer's a really good player. I've never been as high on him as some other people are, and I think Romeo clearly like statistically has been better. I would love to see it one on one go out there go out there and defend. Now yeah. you got to do it without fouling. But I think Romeo responds to those kind of challenges. Yeah, I was getting ready to say that. I think that brings the best out of Langford, and I think you saw it uh, a little bit at Maryland. Um, I was at the Northwestern game in person, so yeah, him and Vic Law went right at each other. I know Vic Law had kind of made a comment, and uh, it was like a, a media session the day or two before the game that he he basically, well, I hope Romeo's ready. And I think, you know, it's kind of like, uh, okay. Oh, he well, will be, Vic. <laughs> yeah, he'll be yeah. ready. <laughs> yeah, he'll be ready. So I, I, that that's a great point. So I, yeah, I don't think you put Jawan on him just because the how much he uses, you know, the ball and possessions. I think Jawan's a little more important, <laughs> obviously, but um, than Smith, that is. But yeah, Romeo would be a great matchup because he the links better. Um, that, I, I'm interested to see how that comes out. Uh, that would be a, a good matchup to watch. I think Romeo, I, yeah, because I know you and Alex Bozich uh, talked about that extra gear he may have, and I think that may bring it out tonight. Yeah. So, you know, I went into synergy as I like to do before these games just to see, you know, especially these good teams, you know, like Maryland and Nebraska, okay, they're, you know, probably really good to excellent in most things. Where's the weakness? And for Nebraska, it, you know, it's incredible. You look at their synergy profile, and it's really stark. I mean, they are excellent or very good in almost everything defensively, you know, defending spot up shooters and defending isolations. Like they're, they're just really good across the board, but it jumps out their one weakness. And this is why I feel better about this game. And I feel a lot more confident now about Indiana being able to win this game because I think what Indiana does really well offensively 
assuming that we do more of it, is really going to match up with what Nebraska struggles with, and that's defending the pick and roll. So mm-hmm. defending, and there's two ways that they look at defending a pick and roll. It's how the possession ends. So it's does it end with the with the ball handler ending the possession, you know, with a shot or getting fouled or turning it over, or does it end with the screener getting it, maybe on a pop or on a roll? So in defending pick and rolls, when it's the ball handler who finishes the finishes the possession, Nebraska is in the 39th percentile. When it's the screener finishing the possession, they're in the 35th percentile. They are 76 or better in everything else. So this is the clear weakness, and I think it's this is the play type that has gone against them the second or third most times. So it's a decent enough sample size. If you flip over to the Indiana side of it, Romeo is in the 95th percentile as the ball handler in pick and rolls. Devontae Green is in the 90th percentile. And those are the two guys that we put in pick and rolls most often. And the only guy that we've really used as a screener in pick and rolls any significant amount is Juwan Morgan, who is in the 80-something percentile. And I think you could. this could be a game where you put Fitzner in there and allow him to you know do some pick and pops, and he might be able to get some threes. So I'm going to be really interested to see. This has been a growing part of our offense. I'm going to be really interested to see if Indiana keys on this as Nebraska's weakness and just keeps putting, you know, Romeo and 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 Devontae too, put them in pick and rolls. To me, that's what I would do until they prove they can stop it because it, we're, we've gotten so much better at it, and it seems like the one weakness that Nebraska has. Yeah, and, and obviously we've seen how good the pick and roll between Romeo and Juwan can be. And if you make you know Nebraska pick one or the other and. You, know, you have Justin Smith in a short corner, maybe Devontae Green or Al Durham, who's probably the best three-point shooter right now. He's the best Indiana's. three-point shooter in the Big Ten right now. <laughs> yeah, so, Al Durham. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. You know, you put him in the opposite corner, then you really make them, you know, pick their poison because you know, pick and pop with or pick and roll, and then you have Smith in the short corner. Well, you got three options to stop, and you know, Langford's really good decision making, you know, and Al's in the opposite corner. Then you've got four guys, then you know, Juwan sets a solid enough pick, then you're playing kind of four on three and somebody's going to have to make a decision. So I think if you make them make tough decisions like that, Indiana's going to have a really good offensive game tonight. The other thing that's interesting with Nebraska is they're one and three in true road games. And mm-hmm. you look at the now, you know, those losses are to good teams. Um, you know, they lost to Minnesota, they lost to Maryland, they lost to Iowa. You know, Minnesota's ranked 53rd. They're the lowest ranked. But in their four games, including the one game they won on the road at Clemson, here are the points per possession given up defensively. 1.1, 1.25, 1.14, 1.22. So there's still a little bit of a program that's really good at home, you know, playing in the friendly confines there in Lincoln, but struggles a little bit on the road and seems to struggle especially defensively. So it's another reason I'm, you know, I'm feeling more bullish about this one the closer it gets, because I, I felt like we really kind of found something offensively in the Maryland game, especially with what Romeo was able to do. Um, and if this Nebraska team isn't ready to, you know, kind of kick it into another gear defensively, assuming we stay out of foul trouble and just don't revert back to turning it over a ton, I think we can really do some things offensively that'll bother them. Um, and even if our defense is still struggling a little bit like it's been the last couple games, I don't think it'll be enough for Nebraska to be able to come in and get the win. Yeah, I think Indiana's going to make it tough. Uh, I think Romeo's probably just going to be on another level the rest of the year, and I think he's kind of had a, a small coming-out party um, the last couple games. And at Maryland, he really showed what he could do. Um, so, you know, with Nebraska, as poor defensively as they are in the pick-and-roll, having to, you know, play him and Jawan, I think Devontae Green's starting to find the shot a little bit. So hopefully, um, you know, that makes life tough on them. Obviously, the Crimson Guard will be back. Uh, in town tonight so the place ought to be rocking and I think Indiana's got a really good chance to probably win by double digits if they I mean if they turn the ball over seven times tonight you they probably win by 12 plus I would think yeah 
skip class students get there early yeah get there real early <laughs> um okay so we always do the game ball at the end of the game but who is your prediction for like your pregame prediction for game ball and maybe we do two levels who would you give it to on the top level like who do you think will be better between romeo and juan and then who is like the uh the supporting cast member that you think is going to really step up and have a better than expected game yeah, I'm kind of curious to see who's going to guard Jawan because I think he presents a number of mismatches here. Because I mean, Copeland is six nine, but he's he doesn't play real physical. Kind of same with Palmer. Um, and Roby is probably their best NBA prospect, best athlete. Yeah, yeah. Just with it, he he kind of reminds me of Troy Williams. I don't know if you guys have seen that. I've watched Nebraska play a couple times this year, and every time I watch him play, it's it's like, oh, it's Troy Williams. Just I think Roby may shoot a little bit better at this point in his college career. But I, I mean, so yeah, I'll be interested to see who guards Juwan, but I think he's got a mismatch advantage um, with all three of those guys. So um, it'll be eager to see that. But I think Romeo really comes out and plays well. So I'll take Romeo there. And I think uh, Al Durham has a really good game tonight. Hmm. I, I think he gets some open shots. I think he gets some really good opportunities kind of, you know, coming off the defensive end. I think Indiana is going to be able to create some turnovers. Um, so yeah, I think Al Durham has the best support supporting cast tonight. I'm going to stick with Fitzner. I, I think I think this I is going to so. be... He needs a confidence-building game. Archie's talked about wanting to run some stuff for him when he gets in. And in a game where you know the pick-and-roll can be used and he can maybe pop and get some threes, you know, it's he's due for, for a game. And I think maybe getting back home, he gets some opportunities. He knocks them down. I think that would be big. So yeah, it sounds like... like yeah, I, w- I wouldn't be shocked. It'd be... Man, and it would be so big, you know, just to get get his confidence going again. Like, I don't... I just I don't think he's going to be a consistent contributor. I just I don't think that's in the cards. But I still think he can be a guy that helps Indiana win three, four, five games by making some big three pointers. You know, kind of like the Marquette game. This almost kind of has like yeah. a Marquette feel to it, almost. Yeah, because we knew Marquette wasn't really solid defensively, um, and Indiana just came out and. I mean, if, if Fitzner has a night, if he shoots well, and I think if the, you know Indiana's shooting the ball well, it, it could very well. I don't know if it'd be twenty three like that game was, but I like I said, I think it could be you know twelve to eighteen. I think they could get hot. Well, we have uh, we we started the segment trying to tell everybody to respect Nebraska and that <laughs> this is going to be a tough game. Maybe Indiana will have to grind it out. Now here we are at the end. We've talked to ourselves, but I kind of feel the same way you do. I, I yeah. felt I felt a lot better. Now I will not feel this way when we go to Nebraska, playing at Nebraska, yeah. totally different ball game. But I kind of feel the way you do. Like I did not have a good feeling before the Maryland game, and the last thirty minutes of that game played out to a certain extent, like how I thought it would. But man, I'm I'm getting a good feeling about this one. So they, Indiana needs to win this game, and they probably need to win it playing well because you go know, at Purdue, at Northwestern, Michigan, at Rutgers, at Michigan State. <laughs> if they don't win this game tonight, it could be a long couple weeks. So they need to they need to play really well. And like you said, I feel really good about it. Yep. Hopefully, we're right. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully. Uh, and if not, then hopefully no one got to listen to the segment because we did it so soon before the game. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right, man. Well, Josh, thanks for coming on, especially on short notice. Always appreciate it. Remind everybody where to go to subscribe to the Inside Out podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, you know, Spotify, anything like that. I'm on all those platforms and you can follow it on Twitter at inside underscore out pod. Thanks to Archie Miller for the podcast idea. And you talk about IU, Colts, Pacers too. Yeah, I do. Uh, it's the name is primarily from Archie, the whole inside out thing. But I, you know, I'm a huge Colts fan, huge Pacers fan. Obviously, obviously with the IU connection with Vic there, so I just love to talk about sports. But yeah, it's got a pretty big IU following at the moment. I would say, awesome.
Well, everybody take a look at that. And then, of course, join us for the uh, post-game show after tonight's game. All right. Yeah. That'll do it for us on this week's edition of Banner Monday. If you ever want to see us do the show live and be part of the live chat, join us at assemblycall.com on Monday afternoons for the live broadcast of our Banner Monday recording. And you can always subscribe to our podcast by searching for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to go to assemblycall.com or text IU to 66866 to join our free email newsletter, which will make you a smarter and more well-informed IU basketball fan. Thank you for listening. We'll be back in a few hours for the IU uh, Nebraska postgame show. Hope you'll join us. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim, and go Hoosiers. Thank everybody for coming out. All right, I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. Thank you for being here and for listening to this episode of The Assembly Call. We appreciate it. And we really do rely on the support of audience members like you to keep our show going and to keep growing. And so we have set up a page on our website at assemblycall.com slash support that lists five ways that you can support the Assembly Call. And we encourage you to choose whichever method is the easiest and most convenient for you. One of the methods is donating, and so many of you have donated, and we appreciate it so much. On that page, you can choose a monthly recurring donation or an annual recurring donation or just a one-time donation, whatever works for you. And if you don't want to donate, another way to support the show is you can use our affiliate URLs, iutickets.shop or iustore.shop when you're going to shop for tickets or gear, and we will get paid a small commission when you use those links. But however you support the show... We appreciate it. Thank you. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client.